everyone, and welcome to this episode of Customer Data Perspectives. I'm here today with a good old friend and neighbor, somebody I worked with in the past. His name is Anthony Manson. Anthony is the senior exec at WebMD Medscape, and he heads up commercial solutions there. How's it going, Anthony? Going pretty well. Busy yeah. Week. It's always a busy week. Always a busy week. So, Anthony, you know, we, you and I had a, a start a long time ago working at a SaaS company for newspapers. Before that, you were at working at Young and Ruplican. You pivoted into pharmaceuticals and digital health, where you made several significant accomplishments. I've been watching you for a long period of time, um, all the great things that you've been doing. Can you share just some of the highlights with everybody? Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, as you know, how digital has changed so significantly in the past 10 years. So, um, you know, I was involved in the early days of digital advertising with WPP and publicist agencies. So we were really consulting with companies. Um, I was doing, you know, non-health as well as healthcare and pharmaceuticals, you know, really helping them figure out how to leverage digital channels to transform their marketing operations and strategies. So, um, you know, it was some really kind of wild days in the beginning. <laughs> where you could do a lot of really cool stuff. People had a lot of risk tolerance at that point, just because they were excited to try things. So, um, you know, we did one thing with uh, Metallica with a live concert outside uh, um, Canada where they live streamed one of the first concerts that was ever live streamed. So that was pretty exciting stuff. With Adam Curry used to be with MTV, not to date myself, but uh, so that was fun. And then, um, and then I kind of focused more on really getting into healthcare, which was really interesting. And, and one of my passion areas was people suffering from chronic disease where, you know, they don't get as much help from healthcare professionals on a regular day-to-day -day basis. So I think digital, digital platforms, you know, even back then were really opportunistic areas to provide that support, you know, even if it was just providing basic information on the disease and what you could do to manage the symptoms and, and minimize any complications. So whether it's multiple sclerosis or whether it's, you know, severe asthma, you know, we don't realize how many people suffer from these ailments and they just don't get the support that they need. And so to me, digital was a natural before zoom, obviously you could talk right. to a, a nurse or a dietitian or a psychiatrist today, but, uh, back then it was, it was really, to me, it was like, finally, there's something where you wake up with some symptoms, you don't know what they are. And, you know, you, you want to talk to a, a healthcare professional or somebody to give you some, even if it's just support, maybe they're not going to diagnose anything, but, you know, to me, it was, it was always a great opportunity for us to provide that level of support to folks that were suffering, you know, and, um, that was before telehealth was even a word. You know, we were, we were doing things. I was running, I built, I registered multiple sclerosis.com mm. and, uh, basically sold it to Bayer labs and, uh, we built the platform out for them and it was really a, a way to acquire newly diagnosed patients and then provide support to them, uh, and provide a platform for Bayer to get their, you know, positive message out that they were supporting the multiple sclerosis community. So that was another one that I was pretty, uh, you know, proud of in terms of, you know, what the the mission for that website was, and it was more than a website, you know, my mind, we had live meetings. It was, it was a real surround sound multi-channel uh, platform. Anthony, that's amazing. I mean, I could hear all your experience and knowledge and passion, just working with customers and, in, you know, in the case of 
uh, working in the medical profession, really thinking about patient and patient experience and just some of the things that really uh, are top of mind when uh, people aren't feeling well and they're just trying to find some basic information. You know, do I have COVID or do I have the flu or do I have something worse? I mean, just something that's been top of mind for people for the last couple of years. Now, you know, you work at Medscape, uh, you've been, you know, working in a lot of different areas. Um, a lot of the ways people understand bring drugs to market is, you know, hearing about an FDA approval, uh, seeing an advertisement on TV, or maybe talking to a doctor or pharmacist. Um, and all of a sudden they're being recommended a, a drug with, you know, some, you know, ways it's going to help them and maybe some things that they have to be uh, careful about. So maybe provide a little bit of a one-on-one. This is, you know, your bread and butter, what you've been doing for such a long time. You know, how, how do you bring new drugs to market? What goes into that? Well, um, a lot goes into it. It's, you know, obviously you have the whole R&D development life cycle, which is, you know, very expensive. And as you know, with, with drugs, you have a seven year patent light. So you really have to get out of the gate as quickly as possible. So from a, a marketing and, and perspective, you gotta be targeting the right audience and a ton of research goes into figuring out exactly, you know, who the right patient profile is for that treatment, you know, where are you going to get the best outcomes and best results? Um, and then from the healthcare professional side, which is really important too, which is really identifying, you know, who are the, the practices and the doctors and providers that are really going to be most likely to prescribe that treatment. So, you know, as you know, with data today, we live in a world of, of we have a lot of data. Um, you can micro target in multiple different ways today than you, you know, we couldn't do even, even five years ago. So we're in a very sophisticated targeting world. So it's, it's critical for, you know, you're, if you're launching a drug, you know, you need to know upfront exactly who you want to talk to, you know, so it starts early with kind of disease awareness behind that drug. It could be some scientific messages talking about kind of the neck what we call mechanism of action. How does that drug work within the body? Um, you know, you may have to educate doctors on, on kind of that to get them comfortable with it. it it's like, here's exactly <laughs> within the metabolism. Here's exactly how it works. So there could be some scientific and educational programs that are running, um, that are unbranded and those are really important. And then you of course have all the major medical conferences where all the research is being presented. Um, and those are critical exposure points and communication touch points. Um, and then you kind of get closer and closer to, you know, final FDA approval. Um, and then you basically flip the switch on DTC uh, and then you have, you know, your omni-channel marketing going for the professional audiences and everything's got to be coordinated. And I think that's where the data comes into play. Um, you know, you really have to be tracking, you know, who you're engaging with on a, almost a real time basis. Um, and then there's a lot of message sequencing going on where you sequence your messages, you know, depending on what one person consumes and what, what they see, you know, what's the next best message that you want to give them. So one message could be all around safety and why this drug is, is safe and there's minimal side effects. Um, and that the, you know, the benefits outweigh the risks, which is really critical, you know, it's kind of one-on-one, but um, that's, you know, foundational marketing and then, and then, you know, the next message might be around efficacy, why this, this, this treatment is more effective than others that are out on the market currently. 
Um, and then of course, I think the other huge area today, as you know, I'm sure you experienced personally is, is cost. Yeah. So, you know, as we see more expensive drugs coming out, you know, you have to get formulary, um, preference. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole marketing and, and communications program and that, that's a lot of data intensity too, where, you know, you have a lot of data on the different payers and you know, kind of what they, how they, how they review these treatments and how they kind of tier them. So there's a whole sales force that just focuses on payers. There's lobbying, um, you know, a lot of data analysis that goes into that. I don't deal with that that much, but that's really another big, I will call it a cornerstone of, form of marketing and new treatment. Yeah, Anthony, and some really good stuff there. I mean, uh, uh, you know, when you see the advertisements on TV, you know, you kind of get this picture, okay, it's, you have seven years to go market this drug that you spend maybe billions of dollars researching and you sort of get this feeling like it's a megaphone that the, the pharmaceuticals putting out. But I'm hearing, you know, yeah, it's seven years, but we start, you know, even before FDA approval, we have to focus on a lot of learning and education. Uh, we have multiple actors, multiple people and, and professionals that we have to get them acclimated to it. There's regulation involved. Um, there's pricing involved in this in terms of, of, you know, ultimately what the consumer's paying for. And uh, just a tremendous amount of knowledge that you have to get out there and do it in, in an ethical way too, right? Because people have to make smart decisions about what they're going to put in their body, what they're going to spend money on, um, who they're going to listen to and trust when it comes to medical advice. I think that all plays into that. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it, it's, uh, you know, as I said, it, it, it occurs, you know, a couple of years before, you know, once they get out of what's called phase three clinical trials, once they know they're, they have good data and that they're meeting their endpoints, then they really get into kind of that, you know, pre-launch uh, mode. And, and start to, you know, they have, you know, playbooks basically, and they start to go down those, those pathways to figure out exactly what their strategy is going to be. Um, but if you, you know, if you, if you, if you go out with the wrong strategy the first year, you know, you've lost, you've lost a ton of revenue and sales, um, on a limited patent life. So you really have to, you want to get it right, you know, so, um, that's, that's the added pressure as opposed to whether, you know, retail or other verticals, um, you know, I think the, the, the stakes are higher, not that they're not high in retail or other categories, but, um, we always think of it. The stakes are higher here and look, what do we need to do to get it right? Yeah, I, I could totally, and we could talk about privacy for another half an hour, but <laughs> of course you have, you know, highly regulated and privacy is very important. As well, we have a lot of data, um, but I think you got to be, we're all really careful in terms of what data we're collecting and, and, you know, the security of it, of course, is critical, but, you know, you have to respect all of those data, best practices, HIPAA, of course, is, is you know, a big part of it. Um, so I think that adds another challenge to kind of doing this right, um, is understanding that and having the right experts at the table. So that you're, you're, you know, respecting the privacy of, of you and me, you know? So that's what I was thinking about. I was like, okay, but if it was me, what, what information do you have on me and what are you doing with it? Right. Right. That's a really good tool. I mean, put yourself in the shoes of the people that you're trying to market to. And sometimes you can, um, understand 
where they're coming from. You have some kind of affinity with that that demographic, with that persona. And other times you, uh, you know, I remember doing focus groups with you and just trying to understand what's in the mind of customers and, and, and patients and doctors and trying to, you know, live in their shoes a little bit. I want to switch gears a little bit. Sure. You, you were talking about data and marketing um, pharmaceuticals. You also have um, an entire set of experiences building platforms out, um, obviously also very important. Um, your work at Jobs and Healthcare Information, you built a, a digital healthcare platform, uh, personalized content, and you did something called uh, trigger-based marketing tactics was something I read that you did. So maybe explain what that platform was and you know how you went into personalization and what this trigger-based marketing tactics are about. Sure. Um- Basically, it's, you know, it's I, in terms of being able to sequence messages. So if if someone comes in and they're looking up information, uh, if a physician comes in and is looking about side effects on a drug, you know, what can you, what's the next, next message you want to get that person? You know, so you don't want them, you know, frequency is important, but you don't want them seeing the same message five times, <laughs> you know, because they're just going to tune out. Um, I think, especially with the healthcare professional audience, what I like to say is, you know, these are, these are incredibly smart people. Uh, they process information at a higher speed than, than most people do. So they're multitaskers. If you, you know, when you go to the doctor and they're on the computer and they're asking you a question, the nurse comes in, fires off three things at them. I mean, these, you know, most of the time they're multitasking. So they can consume information. So don't waste their time. So get them the right message at the right time. And that's where trigger marketing comes into play. So, you know, if I see one message, then trigger another message. So if you, if you, if you go to a website, then trigger an email that goes out within 24 hours that says, Hey, you might be interested in, you know, checking out our, our exhibit booth at the major medical conference coming up next month, mm-hmm. you know, then then, you know, if they, if they go to that conference, then send them another thing that says, Hey, would you like to join one of our free webinars with the leading medical experts in this, in this field, you might know them, of course, you went to medical school with them. So, and then invite them to the webinar. So it's all about triggering the next best message or, or action. Um, and I think that's really, you know, we didn't have the tools, you know, even 10 years ago that we have today, as you know, Isaac, yes. you know, now we have sophisticated targeting and, and personalization tools and CDPs and uh, we go way past CRM platforms <laughs> today. So uh, we have marketing automation and CDP. We can track people and we can collect data from multiple different sources, uh, aggregate data, and then trigger messages and, and marketing programs based on that. So, you know, we, we're in a much better place today in terms of setting that, that up. Um, you know, we took the, it was, it was really manual even five years ago. You know, no, so. you, you, you're, you're picturing exactly what I'm thinking is this, um, you know, we came from the world where journey maps were done on PowerPoint and flow charts right, right. And, and, and you would come to me and say, Isaac, you know, can we go implement something that looks like this? And be scratching my head and saying, well, okay, that's going to take a lot of work, uh, and a lot of customization because my CMS doesn't do things out of the box with that. And, you know, now, you know, you can implement it directly in, in platforms. You can collect a lot of information in real time about how people are, uh, are, are navigating uh, your information sources. You can tailor it to different, you know, 
different groups, different personas, different time of day, you know, triggered based on what information they're looking at, what they're not looking at. And then, you know, the only thing I didn't hear you say, is just the, the need to experiment um, really rapidly with this. It's not like somebody, like I write a book and the book goes out and that's what it is. You, you're constantly evolving this. Is that right? Yeah. You're, you're, you know, you're constantly, you know, we talk, used to we used to talk about A B testing. Now we're talking about A to Z testing. You know, so right. like we're always iterating and and testing different messages to different target audiences. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really where the micro targeting comes into play. So, you know, especially with physicians, it's not just the primary care doctor versus a neurologist. You know, so you have different types of neurologists out there today that specialize in different things. So if you have an Alzheimer's drug, you know, you want to make sure you you know exactly which Alzheimer experts you're talking to and making sure you're tweaking the message properly for that. So I think we're, we are in a one-to-one marketing world. Um, and we have the data collection power now that we didn't have before, as you know, with dashboards and, and being able to get that data on a daily basis. And, um, I think part of the challenges is just the data overload today. You know, um, are you using all your data actioning it? Or are you only actioning, you know, 3% of it? Right. And I, I think that's a big, a big debate that we're all having in terms of where we just, now you can collect data for data's sake, but how do you make it more actionable? And I think that's, you know, I think we still have a ways to go to figure out how we make data more actionable. Yeah. I, and, and, and it's not just where you're at. I mean, I talked to folks working in, in, in banking and financial services and in automotive, anytime you have sort of that big decision um, and you're not going to like just go to Amazon and buy a book, right? You're going to be, you're looking at right. drugs for all your, your patients with a specific ailment. You're looking at, you know, putting a lot of money into a particular uh, asset manager. I mean, there's all kinds of these large decisions and we collect a ton of data around it, but uh, obviously, you know, there's so much you can do with heuristics and rule-based systems and now we're putting a lot of machine learning on top of that to be able to make sense of all this data. Maybe tell us a little bit about your experience at, at Medscape and WebMD. You're part of a team doing AI-driven intelligence to communicate to healthcare professionals. What could you tell us about that? Well, I mean, I think I think everybody's looking at AI and, and beginning to really heavily utilize it in certain areas. So, you know, I think the I think there's a lot of different ways to apply it. So um, we, we have a team of people that are kind of evaluating the, the optimal ways to utilize it, um, to get the best results. So I think we're still in kind of a learning mode, um, but we're certainly aggressively applying it and trying to figure out exactly what is going to make the most sense. Um, you know, the fact that you can teach the machine to learn and figure out patterns that you, you and I wouldn't be able to figure out. So, you know. We have tons of data in healthcare, whether it's first party or third party, being able to have, you know, AI and machine learning kind of determine kind of what patterns they're seeing, um, I think is critical. And that's what, that's what we're doing. So we're still kind of in a a learning mode. Um, you know, I think that it's a, it, it affects the entire organization. So, you know, I'm just one part of it, but, Mm. uh, I think we'll, I think every organization is going to in the next couple of years, be AI driven. Yeah, I agree with you, Anthony. I mean, one of the things that I think about here is, you know, Eve, you can you can think about the sequences, you can think through the heuristics of personas, 
um, and what messaging to put in there. There's obviously some crafting and A to Z testing as you put it out there. But then there's a, a timing element and then there's a location element, right? When am I going to be most receptive to your message? And now you have a spectrum of answers around that, right? And I think that's a, you know, one of the better places to really think about uh, machine learning, you know, when is the best time to send a, a particular message to me? You know, where is the best time to do that? If you can, you know, track locations, you track mobile devices and things like that. A um, lot of opportunity around that. And, you know, that's just part of the entire sort of customer engagement and journey mapping and, you know, really thinking about bringing together both sides of a marketplace, something that you have a lot of experience with. Um, tell me about uh, a little bit about, about how you build up that customer engagement, right? So I've got all this content. I've got all this ways of marketing to them. I'm trying to get them to see there's something of value that I'm providing to them. Give, give me a last word on, on how you engage customers around that. Well, um, uh, it's, a, a short, it's hard to give a short answer to that. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think there, it goes back to what do you know about that customer? You know, mm -hmm. um, you know, where, what's their profile look like? You know, what have they looked at in the last 30 days, 60 days, 90 days? Mm -hmm. You know, automatically giving them a menu um, or personalized feed. You know, we see that all the time. I mean, that's the algorithms that run that, that serves up. Here's your, here's your three best friends that you, you check their Instagram every single day mm -hmm. and you see their messages in the feed and the algorithms of course always change, but I mean, I think that's where we all are focusing on, you know, how do we automate this so mm -hmm. that based on what you've looked at, here's what you see more of, well, obviously I'm simplifying it significantly, but mm. Um, I think whether it's a physician or whether it's a 18 year old, you know, attending college, I think it, it, it's the same theory behind it in terms of how do you personalize that, that content to get maximum engagement, whether it's an, whether it's for an advertising or whether it's a sponsored message or whether it's editorial or, you know, it doesn't matter what that content is, you know, how do you maximize engagement? Yeah, with advertising standpoint, obviously, the more they engage, the more money the company makes. So, you know, you have to look at that and say, you know, what's that conversion rate look like, you know, um, and frequency of, of engagement. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, uh, you know, it's the optimization of the time you have uh, presenting things to a potential customer with the dollars that you have against it. And then the creative aspect of, you know, how do you create something that's truly engaging, that's going to really be immersive, bring them back. Uh, I remember doing this with you a number of times and, you know, your entire career, you've been taking, you know, you're really challenging yourself to go after the big rocks, big areas where you can make some impact. And, uh, you know, my, my word for that is digital trailblazers. It's a, uh, a word I use uh, to describe my next book and a persona of people who really challenge the status quo and look for new avenues to make impacts. I'll give you a hint, Anthony. Uh, you make a slight appearance in the book. Uh, okay. But you're going to have to read it to find it. You're going to laugh when you see it. Uh, and you're going to recognize many of the stories around there. But I'm interested, you know, what is your advice for transformation drivers, people who are really looking for big and bold ways to do di things differently than what's been done in the past? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I as you said, I, I tend to think big, you know, so um, 
you know, taking on a certain amount of risk, but doing it in a smart way. Um, and then vetting it with, with the organization. I think, you know, you, you, this is, you got to build a, a virtual team across the organization, get all the stakeholders behind you. So to me, I've always thought about it as an, you have to be an evangelist, you know, um, so you've got to really drink the Kool-Aid and believe in what you're doing in order to convince other folks to come along for the ride. So, uh, from the CEO down to the, to the programmer, you know, I think you really got to get everybody kind of on board if you're going to go after something big. Um, and then of course you have all the, the financial folks who are critical because obviously, you know, what's that investment that it's going to take in terms of resources, you know, people, technology, you know, so you got to figure all that up front and really come up with a plan that, that, that is smart. Uh, but as I said, it, it's not just what's in, in the plan. It's also, you're the evangelist, so you've got to go out there and you've got to convince people internally. Um, you know, one of the words I heard early on was, you know, there's entrepreneurs that are, are building companies from scratch, but then there's entrepreneurs who are internally large organizations who are really reinventing that organization from the inside out. And they're going after ideas and creating new ventures and new opportunities, new platforms and say, Hey, here's a new way we can engage our target, uh, by creating this type of content or this type of engagement or this type of product. So, you know, I think there's, there's so many things to think about, but there's also to me, what's exciting about it is, is to me, it's going after something big and new. Um, I love that. You know, I think that's really what this business is all about is reinventing it. You know, while you're flying the plane, right? Popping <laughs> the engines out for something bigger and better, you know. Uh, but that—that's it. I mean, I think that's where it's going. You know, if you're operating status quo, uh, I just don't think you're going to get where you want to go. So, Anthony, what I love about your answer is you—you know—you're—you're—you're you're pointing at the big rocks. You have to you acknowledge how important it is to sell that vision. You know, you don't get anywhere without that. But then at the same time. You need to be able to get in the weeds and understand how to execute against it, understand all the parties that are involved with it, convincing stakeholders to think differently. You have to, you know, get your hands a little bit dirty with the technology. What does it do? How do you operate it? Um, how do you maximize against it? Um, you got to be able to handle all those different things. And that to me is, you know, what transformation drivers really need to focus on. So Anthony, it's, it's, it's great to hear you accent that when it comes to building customer data and using it to an advantage. I, I wanna end with one last question. I've been asking everybody on um, the customer data perspectives uh, podcast and webinar around this, you know, what's your wish list for an easy button? You know, what's hard to do today um, that you do all the time where you wanna gain a competitive advantage with customer data, but it's just not that easy to do. Um, it's, I think that it's a lot of things, a lot of things I could list, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but you know, the, the goal is always worth the, worth the, you know, it's not, a, it's not a sprint as a marathon, right? I mean, that's an old cliche, but it's really true. I think with data, you know, it's, you got to keep building on top of what you've already built, you know, um, is it easy? No, you know, uh, I mean, I wish our reporting, we could basically get 10, 10x smarter on our data measurement and reporting standards and you know but that takes time you know and and you know you're trying to keep up with it and you're trying to elevate it uh, 
you know, but there's no easy way to do it other than just, you know, keep building it brick by brick. But, um, I wish that was easier. I mean, some of the CDPs and some of the other data, you know, SAS systems kind of overpromise. uh, you know, install the system and you're going to have a magic wand. I don't think that's true. I don't know if you feel that way, but. Oh, I know that's not true. I mean, you know, <laughs> so it takes work, you know, to, to get those things to work the way you want them to work. Um, you know, and there is no easy button there, but we're all, we, but you, but you have to do it. Right. So. I think just acknowledging that, uh, you know, it is an iterative process. It is a learning process. You know, the easy button comes from, you know, finding and making the right decisions at the right time and um, acknowledging there's a lot of really good technology out there. Um, Got to have good process, good intelligence around it, but you're not going to go from, you know, zero to 120 miles per hour just by hitting the gas pedal, right? You're going to have to do it in steps. So yeah. Anthony, uh, thank, thank you for joining me. Uh, customer data perspectives. Uh, and, uh, really excited to see what you're doing now and what you're going to be doing in the future. Great. Thank you, Isaac. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Thank you everybody for joining today and we'll see you at the next episode of customer data perspectives. Have a great day. 